For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Dugout Dudes, formerly the Dodger Dudes. I'm your co-host, Josh Lou. We've got a special guest today that many of you Dodger fans are familiar with. It's Matt Marino from DodgerBlue.com. So, Brett, uh, do you want to do the formal introduction of Matt? <laughs> you did pretty good right there. Um, so Matt's from Whittier, California. Um, he's, the, he's currently the managing editor of DodgerBlue.com and LakersNation.com. Um, you know, he covers the Dodgers. He's out there in spring training. He, he follows them around. He, he grew up a Dodger fan. He grew up in Whittier, like I said. So, you know, he's been around and he's like, he's like Josh. He, he bleeds Dodger Blue. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, well, let's start with um, spring training. I know you spent some time out there, and before the pandemic, um, really the, the news story, in fact, I think the Houston Astros should send a thank you card to whoever started the coronavirus, you know, because uh, it took them off the front page. But, um, but what was the vibe like in your limited time in the locker room with the guys? Um, you know, you've seen it from what, what I see and what we see on the public side, what's reported, and everybody kind of taking the high road for the most part. But, but did you see – what the real vibe is, what, what are they thinking, what are they talking about, what did you hear about uh, what they think about both the Astros scandal and now the Red Sox one as well, particularly having two members of that Red Sox championship team in their, in their um, clubhouse now? Well, frankly, I think a lot of the, uh, the situation with the Astros, I'm going to take you back to FanFest, which was in January, because that was where a lot of the players uh, kind of really spoke about it openly for the first time. You know, they may have done a couple interviews on AM570 here and there, that's when Bellinger went off, right? Yeah, Bellinger. I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy, enjoyed that right there. <laughs> uh, you know, Ross Stripling also was there, and he was very candid in his remarks. So was Justin Turner. You know, he said it's hard to look at the Astros as champions. Uh, so I think the player, a lot of the players got most of it off their chest at FanFest. Uh, and then fast forward to spring training, once that rolled around, the, the issue I felt was more with, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred's response and the Astros organization, how they responded to criticism that was coming their way because of what people perceived and I think is accurate, you know, relatively light penalties. I understand the MLB constitution there, you know, you could only find them a maximum of 5 million. So fine, that, that was done. But the Astros at the end of the day, they still kept their world series rings. They still kept their trophy. And I understand some of the stuff, you know, the playoff shares, all that stuff that Brett, you can speak to that in terms of, to retroactively kind of take that away isn't necessarily feasible. Um, so spring training, you know, you saw some of that frustration again from the Dodgers. Justin Turner, again, was one of the vocal ones. Cody Bellinger had his uh, kind of tit for tat with Carlos Correa a little bit. Um, but then they said their piece, and I think they wanted to just focus on baseball. This is a, a veteran team that come off, is coming off, you know, franchise record, 106 wins. They added David Price, Mookie Betts. They're obviously – are still World Series expectations, and I think they were ready to play. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because the whole time that went on and, and the scandal went on, Josh and I talked a lot, a lot about it, and everybody was being so political. Everybody was, wanted to say the right things, didn't want to come across and like really attack. It was nice 
for me to see because I know as a player, we talked about it, like pine tar, pitchers use pine tar. It's, it's, a, it's, plain, it's a plain fact. I, I, I even said probably 80% of them have something sticky on them somewhere. Hitters are, are looking for advantages, whether it's, you know, a guy relaying signs from second. That's all part of the game, and that's, you know, it's part of the fabric of the game. But when you talk about cheating in terms of implementing, you know, video, live stream, banging on things to give advantages like that, it, it, it's crossing that line. And I know for me as a player, like, I, I put myself in, in the shoes of the dot. I'd be pissed like very mad, very disgusted that you would go to that length. So it was nice to hear the players finally speak up and really not, not just speak up, but like you said, candidly kind of go at them and say like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Altuve stole the MVP from judge. Like guys got like pretty personal and pretty, pretty vicious when it came to their responses. And it, I thought it was nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely was refreshing. And I think it's what fans kind of want from players right you you get they get I feel like they get upset when oh it's just the political answer that he's not necessarily telling you what he thinks and this you know not just with the Dodgers but you saw even uh Aaron Judge and a lot of Yankees players and just players around the league really just kind of you know speak freely about how they felt and really I think it was justified yeah I think the hard thing too is those guys baseball is a huge fraternity so like I mean I I put on 10 different teams so what's to say the next year you're not going to be on the Astros for some reason and now your your teammates you're hanging out you're you're going to dinners with these guys that you just called punks basically so i think there was that that line that guys didn't want to cross but finally it kind of you know just boiled over and and, and got kind of fed up with it and it, like i said it was nice to see i was i wanted them to fire more and it, it just because you know i think it's i think it's good for the game some rivalry is good for the game and this the astros dodgers you know, it has become a thing just because of what happened and the Red Sox for, for that matter. I love, I love it. (laughs) I, uh, I I think MLB is never going to vacate the world series, which at first I was in favor of. And the more and more came out, the more I said, you know, uh, no champion at this point is probably the right answer. But what I do think would be really cool and a huge slap in the face appropriately is to ask the voters for the American league MVP to revote. I think that would be really cool. You know, uh, and, and kind of say, hey, we're not taking it away. We're just going to, now that we have the whole, whole set of data, go from there. Hey, I wanted to ask you about Justin Turner. I know of all the players that you cover, you seem to have a lot of coverage of Justin and his foundation, the work that he and his wife do. I'm a Cal State Fullerton grad. I've, I love JT. Uh, he's a local guy. And part of what's personal to me, there's a couple of things, Matt. I know you've listened to some of our shows. We love grinders on this show. JT's absolutely a grinder, went from a role player and with the Mets to a, you know, the number four stud of the lineup uh, batter for the Dodgers in World Series years. Um, but but when my brother played in 98, his, his batting average at home was way worse than on the road because he was he had so many family there. So have you ever gotten a chance to talk to Justin about that? And if he feels if he's more relaxed on the road or at home, because I always found that to be interesting. Then Brett can talk about his experience playing in San Diego and L.A. and Anaheim as well. Have you had a chance to talk to JT about that? No, that's not something uh, we've gotten. We've really discussed at all. Uh, I know that his wife, Courtney, attends pretty much the majority, if not all of his games. And I know uh, Clint Carlton, who helps them run the Justin Turner Foundation. And Clinton is also uh, working at the Drink Center, which is where the Turner Foundation kind of does all, carries a lot of their initiatives out. Uh, he's at a lot of the games too. The, but outside of that, I don't think it's, you know, you're not getting 20 family members showing up on any given night. 
that happens right at the beginning, right? When you break into the big leagues, it's like, everybody wants to be your best friend. I remember my first, my first time I pitched at Dodger stadium uh, with Cincinnati. I let, it was before that we paid for tickets. Now, now the players pay for the tickets or pay a percentage of the tickets. But back when I came up, it was full reign. If you could wrangle enough tickets from the guys, guys got six tickets. I had left over 50, 60 tickets for people. Plus I had told people like, Hey, I can't leave anymore. And I had probably another 50, I had over a hundred people there. So at the beginning of your career, everybody wants to come see you. Like Justin, you know, he's established. He'll have his main few people here and there. It, I always felt it was hard to pitch at home because you're in your routine of normalcy. You're at home. I, I, I remember in San Diego, there were times I'm doing stuff around the house, you know, pulling weeds and fixing stuff. And I'm like, oh, crap, I got to go to the stadium. Like, it's a, it's a day game today. So it's just, I think it's, it's a lot harder to do that. Um, as a player, then be on the road, you're kind of in your routine. No one bothers you. You get there, you go, and, and, and it's super easy. Um, in spring training, the guys were getting into a flow. Like you said, you got price, you got bets, you got newcomers. Um, you know, Jansen's struggles last year uh, were well advertised and documented. What did you see from him? Did he look like the Jansen from past? Had he been working on stuff? Um, what was the vibe around him and how, how they forecasted him out? Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say uh, that he was quite at his dominant level that we saw, you know, maybe in 2016 and 17. And I mean, frankly, that would be a little bit unfair in spring training just because, you know, players <laughs> right. are Spring are training for him, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think the results and just the way the ball was coming out of his hand were definitely improved than what you saw during the regular season last year. And what Kenley and Dave Roberts attributed uh, some of, if not maybe most or much of it to, was – he was among the pitchers and a lot of players are now going up there to go to driveline. Yeah. Uh, so Kenley, you know, when we would wait for Dave Roberts to come out and dress the media, the players kind of filter out of the clubhouse. His workouts were a lot different. You know, he started with his uh, back to a wall and he'd turn and then throw like a weighted ball uh, that had the driveline kind of custom made yeah. uh, as part of their, as part of their program. Um, so there, there were little changes that he made and, there was, there was a lot of optimism for this season. Uh, his velocity was, was better than it was last spring already, so that was another encouraging sign. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Kenley kept saying he feels great and he was encouraged, and that really was a, a popular message shared from his teammates, from Dave Roberts, Andrew Friedman. You know, everybody kind of was on the same page. Of yeah, when we were talking to Dave, <clears throat> we hit a little bit about that. And, you know, Dave, you know, made a, a great point because everybody wanted – Jansen's head basically when, when things were struggling and he was blowing saves everybody wanted him out and it's easy to say as a fan like we don't want him get rid of him release him trade him and it's not quite that easy and we went into that a little bit and Dave Dave kind of discussed this sometimes you're not it's not solely going out there and pitching you got to read the person you got to read the makeup you got to read what he has done and what he's capable of doing and you know and a, and a frontline closer like that where you put him up there in the ranks of a Mariano Rivera or a Trevor Hoffman. Cause that's, that's basically what he has been through his career has been that dominant. You know, you, you got to give the guy chances and you know, it, it's, it's a tough situation, especially when you're on a, on a, a team, that's a playoff team, a world series contender, when you're not getting the job done, it, it's easy to say like, let's pull the ripcord. But you know, I, I think the Dodger fans are hoping for big things from him to really get back to that form or, maybe not the form because those couple years he was as good as they get. But, you know, if you get back to 80% of that form, I'll take that. Yeah. I definitely think the what the realistic expectation at this point is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> right. I mean, he, like he was lights out. He was, you know, one of the best seasons you've seen from a relief pitcher, a closer ever. 
Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get that level Kenley again, but I think he will be improved on what we've seen uh, of late. And also, you know, he will be further removed from his second heart surgery too, which, you know, that I think on top of the hamstring issues that he dealt with last spring and kind of how they handled that, uh, his workload and that ended up backfiring, you know, I think health wound up being a big factor this year, you know, if and, if and when the season gets going. So Brett, check this out, dude. I learned a new term today. It's called sneakerhead, and there is a sneakerhead <laughs> culture. So Matt, can you tell our listeners about what being part of the sneakerhead culture is? Because I think with the last yeah, dance, I'm, I'm going super right interested now, in this. Yeah, and Brett and I, we were basketball buddies in high school, and we were huge fans of Jordan. We we're watching, you know, the last dance, like reliving. I'm literally screaming at the TV, like you know, for him to make a shot against my beloved Lakers, even though you know, knowing the outcome. But uh, so tell us about the sneakerhead culture and how you uh, became a part of it. Uh, yeah, so I'll attribute that to uh, Jordan kind of obviously his signature line taking off um, my first pair of shoes that I remember, you know, vividly kind of go, my mom took me cause I was a young, young kid at the time was a pair of Jordans that actually Eddie, Eddie Jones wore. Uh, hmm. And so that was kind of my first pair. And then it kind of just manifested and grew. And basically what I, I collect shoes uh, to put it in, in layman's term. Um, my, it consists primarily of, Kobe's because obviously, you know, growing up a Lakers fan, Kobe became then, you know, central figure there. Uh, but also I have Jordans that I've mixed into uh, my collection and really it's a, a sneakerhead culture, I guess, kind of a subset of, of fans who follow the sport basketball and the athletes, obviously, but also cherish and covet these shoe releases. And some of them are a little more limited than others. And that becomes more challenging to be able to purchase them. And as technology has kind of evolved, the process with doing that has changed. Uh, there were times, I'd say, let's see, about five years ago that, you know, I'd have to go get in line at, at a Nike store about five o'clock in the morning and hope that by the time I got up to the front <laughs> that they still had my size. Do you wear, do you actually wear the shoes or you just put them on a shelf and collect, make, let them collect dust? So I have certain pairs that. No, they would I, be, they would be in boxes. They wouldn't be collecting dust if I, if I know you correctly. Correct. They, yeah, they definitely, all my shoes that I have are still in the original boxes. That's a, a sticking point. And when I, for my wife, I've met her way back when we're married now, but when we were first dating and she saw, you know, A, she was shocked that a male would have so many shoes. <laughs> And B, she was confused why I still had all the boxes. And so I kind of had to explain that it preserves uh, their, the shoe, I think, to begin with, and also the value. Um, so, and to go back to your original question, there are pairs that I do wear. There are pairs that I haven't worn. Um, I kind of go based off my hunch, my, my gut. If there comes an event or a day where I feel like, okay, today's the day where I'm going to wear whatever, you know, Air Jordan shoe I have, then I'll go for it. But I don't, I don't rush into wearing them, that's for sure. So I watched a documentary on this whole thing, uh, I would say a few months ago. And it's like, it's like a cult thing. Like there's conventions where they, mm -hmm. there's like shoe brokers and there's guys that go out. I saw this one guy, uh, he was brokering a deal and it was for like 120 pairs of shoes, um, this whole lot. And he paid like, it was something ridiculous. It was like a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it was crazy. And it was, and they basically did the transaction through their phone. Um, and it was like a whole thing. And it's, it's more like a collector's items. And it's, I'm sure you have shoes in your collection that you hope someday, you know, go up in value. Cause that's, that's kind of what it's come to. They've become like, I don't know. It's, they become like the modern day baseball card. 
Right. Uh, so how I've always approached it is the shoes I buy, uh, and like, sorry, not to jump all over the place, but it definitely is. There's that's a that's our show, jumping all over the place. You're right. You fall in perfect. That's right. That's there right. is definitely a, a business aspect to shoe collecting, and that's not something that I've really uh, delved into too much because I've kept mine to just, I buy what I like, whether it's limited or not. Uh, I buy it, and my intention is to always keep it. Obviously, if a time comes where, you know, maybe I do need to sell a pair, then I will evaluate that option. Um, but I, the business side, it can be a little, not, I don't want to say scary, but kind of cutthroat. And it's, it's jarring, I think, for somebody. <laughs> if, you, if you're not necessarily in kind of that sphere to kind of see how serious people take it. And really, they can get hostile with stuff. If it's a really limited shoe and then people are negotiating prices and stuff, it can get crazy. So how many pairs of shoes do you have? Oh man. So that's been a topic. <laughs> it's been a topic of discussion recently because I actually just moved. And so we had to kind of lug all my, buy a bigger place just because of the shoes. <laughs> and what's uh, the prize possession in your shoe collection as well? Two questions. Okay. So the number of shoes I have, I don't have an exact count. I would say it's over a hundred. Okay. I, I think between 100 and 130 is probably a fair ballpark number. Um, the most prize possession that is really tough to say. <laughs> I think the most limited one I have is the a Nike Air Yeezy 2 that released before he and he kind of that relationship fizzled out and he made the jump to Adidas. Uh, but I also have Kobe's that he wore kind of you know when the Lakers were winning their championships, the second, the second era with kind of POW that I value pretty, pretty highly. I remember my first pair of Jordans. I had the I had the Jordan ones. I was in junior high and Josh Tuffrey Tuffrey Junior High um, basketball team. We played on the blacktop, and that would be like sacrilegious right now if you wear a pair of Jordan ones on the blacktop, just like you know ripping them to shreds. But I had the red, the red, white, and black Jordan ones. Those were my Classic. first ones. I would love to have them right now. Yeah, I just happened to see something on uh, Sports Illustrated that because one of the Last Dance episodes. Focus, uh, highlighted Jordan going back to the garden for the last time and he wore the original shoes that those uh, have popped up on eBay at a higher price like since Sunday. Yeah, that's so, crazy. And a really important question all Laker fans want to know <laughs> is do you own any pairs of big baller brand shoes <laughs> and, and are they worth more or less than when you bought them? I do not own any pair of big baller brand shoes. Uh, I I was skeptical of them to, from the very beginning, and I never uh, bit the bait. Is Big Baller still in business? Do you know? <laughs> they're they're rebranding a little bit and relaunching. Uh, they're obviously going through some litigation issues with one yeah. of like the family friend and the former manager. So I'm not sure where they stand <laughs> at present time. Um, but I, I think Lonzo is he's not wearing that. He had switched to wearing Kobe's this season. So <laughs> that's a, that's a slap in the face to his dad right there. He's like, I'm not wearing these shoes. Yeah. Hey, we've all been around the house for now a few weeks, maybe. Um, I'm getting a little tired of betting on uh, what time my kids' Zoom classroom meetings are going to get over or what type of frozen dinner we're going to make. Um, but with no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. But Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. But sports aren't totally done. There's still a ton of other stuff. Esports, American Idol, Big Brother the elections, the spelling bee, and their $750,000 poker series. 
There is still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Many of our listeners, if we didn't cover it already, uh, uh, Matt also is, uh, you founded LakersNation.com, correct? No, I did not find it. I just, I'm, uh, I work for the kind of the group of partners that own it. Okay. So he's a reporter for Laker Nation. So I want to ask a question here. I've been having some fun with it. I threw this at one of my friends. He's like, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard from you, which doesn't say a lot because you don't have many good ideas. <laughs> but what about for the NBA playoffs? Uh, after the first two rounds, just going to a March Madness style playoff <laughs> what, are, what are the nba playoffs you didn't throw you didn't run madness? this one by me josh i would have told you the answer to that <laughs> yeah wouldn't that be fun for one year though what do you think what do you think are you hearing anything about the nba playoffs too by the way yeah t- talking with everything that's going on and and the quarantine what have you been hearing about the nba possibility and i we'll talk a little bit about the the mlb but but them postponing the season what's what's the likelihood of them starting back up at some point Yeah, so I think the NBA, out of all kind of the professional sports, they're in the best position because they've already played the majority of their season. So, you know, theoretically, you just need to get into a situation where you can have a mini training camp for the players to kind of get conditioned again, get back into the swing of things, and really then just play, you know, one week of the regular season, maybe 10 days, and then go right into the playoffs. Uh, And to then now weave into the March Madness question. I personally (laughs) would not uh, be in favor of something like that. I think for the NBA, it would introduce a little too much randomness. And especially for this season where already there was enough parity, you had a lot of really good teams. There wasn't one clear cut favorite, which is what we've seen really for the past decade or so. Um, So I, I think if anything, maybe what you do is you switch the first round of the playoffs to a best of three and then maybe a best of five. And maybe only in the NBA Finals is the best of seven. That way, theoretically, if you're playing fewer games, there's less chance for you know players to possibly contract the virus. I wonder if they're going to play. I would would think about playing with no fans, just like MLB is thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, honestly, I think that's the only way uh, the NBA and and any of this. I know we can kind of touch on the other sports. Any of the sports will really play this year, which is is would be bizarre. Yeah. I, I like to have no fans and no you know, home court advantage and just the sound. Cause I don't think people realize like sport, sport is sport and the competition is competition, but there's something to be said about the interaction and the excitement of, of being in a stadium and having that roar, that buzz that players feed on, you know, I, I know I fed on, I fed on it on the road. If it was a big situation and the crowd was fired up and you strike somebody out and it silenced the crowd, that adrenaline rush is huge and helps players. And I, I, I wonder how players are going to handle that. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I've wondered if maybe, obviously there's no replicating it, but I've wondered if stadiums will uh, pipe. Make, yeah, make fan pipe noise. Sound, yeah, pipe sound into, you know, for certain situations. That, that would be sweet. That would be sweet, actually. Some booze, the, some yeah. the Tomp goes, you suck, stuff like that. <laughs> that would have been great. Um, what do you think about MLB? I know there's, there's lots of different scenarios flying around. There's been go to Japan and play, you know, spring training facilities now they're talking about major league facilities the you know realignment of three different divisions west central and east which would jumble american and national league up what are your opinions on 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 some of the stuff that they're talking about and what do you what have you heard uh inside of of different possibilities 
You know, baseball is definitely in a tough spot. Um, when the Arizona plan, that was the first one that leaked uh, maybe about a month ago now, three weeks-ish, uh, I thought, okay, you know, it, this probably is going to be really the only way they can kind of do this, just to eliminate as many uh, factors as possible, you know, try to keep players and umpires and coaches and all that safe. Uh, that was without me necessarily thinking the family aspect, which Clayton Kershaw immediately raised and Mike Trout, you know, ref- referenced as well. I think now, uh, you know, best case scenario, baseball is able to play in some major league stadiums. Uh, what I'm curious to see, obviously, is each state is kind of on its own schedule. I mean, there are a few maybe who are on similar timelines, but, you know, specifically speaking for California, there isn't really any indication that they're going to open up Dodger stadium and say, you know, sure, go ahead, go play, you know, 80 games or what, you know, whatever it may be. So it'll be curious to see how MLB kind of navigates that. Do they take the Dodgers and have, and the angels and have them play in Arizona, you know, at chase field, just because it's, it's there, it's the closest. Uh, So that's what I'm really curious to see. And frankly, there are so many details that they need to work out that I, I don't, know how this is going to really yeah. end, end up looking actually i see a scenario matt like you said because california right now and it's, it's really politically charged of course we all live here and it's like hard to even offer like hey i like this without people saying it's political um i actually think nevada i lived in nevada for quite a while and their reputation is the opposite they'll do anything just to prove they can do it um i think for the nba for sure las vegas is going to step up and say we'll host this hotels close whatever you want um, the AAA stadium in Las Vegas is brand new, um, so that's an alternative. Um, I'm in Arizona right now as we tape this. There's somewhere in between, but Nevada's mayors are Vegas's mayor said, "Come one, come all," like in which, of course, is totally responsible. But, but I'm with you that MLB is going, "Hey, we got to have a plan, but we can't control the different regions where there's an outbreak." In California, we know is going to be difficult to get into, so it's almost like they have to have a plan A and a contingency plan. <laughs> for that as well. So I, I actually think the Rams are going to probably end up playing their home games in Las Vegas this year. I truly feel that. Have you heard any anything about that? I mean, why not? You, you cover USC football, the Lakers. Let's talk the Rams. You heard anything about the Rams? <laughs> we No, I, I personally have not. We do have uh, Rams and Raiders websites in our network as well. Um, but And that I actually hadn't heard that possibility or really even thought about them playing in Vegas. And that, that does definitely seem viable. Uh, and I – when Vegas shut down so early, their casinos, part of me wondered if there was some sort of, uh, and I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I wondered if Vegas and the NBA had already had, you know, kind of back channel discussion saying, look, if this kind of starts to, if the virus starts to really spread across the country, if you guys shut down and move quickly enough, we will seriously consider bringing the league there to kind of reopen, you know, help stimulate that economy. A great point. Um, and I, I was on board. I thought, I thought, you know, Vegas has the, the hotels, enough arenas, uh, and then kind of the Walt Disney world scenario emerged. And in reality, that looks even better, I think, than Vegas because it is privatized. They also have a ton of hotels and they have more arenas that the NBA would be able to use for either practices or just to run games simultaneously. So I think now, initially I thought Vegas is where the NBA would end up. Now I'm thinking that they're definitely going to head to Walt Disney World. Well, here's my, here's my theory on the MLB. <clears throat> the big thing is, is the amount of cases and the amount of deaths. I know on a very small scale in terms of San Diego and in our Little League, we'll just go to that. You know, we just got informed that California had to go to a stage two in terms of 
um, the level. And then that had to maintain for 30 days before we would even be allowed on like school properties and stuff like that to play. So, you know, I think, I think a lot hinders on, they may make the call and have guys, you know, then like you said, logistically, it's going to be a nightmare for the umpires, the broadcasters, the families. I think that's the big wrench in it is the families and, and whether guys are going to have to stay away from their families or their families are going to be quarantined and isolated where they can't leave because they got to monitor who's, who's hanging out with who. And the big thing is going to be what happens with cases and deaths. If there's a spike because restrictions are lifted and all of a sudden people are getting sick again, they're going to have to shut things down. And I think they may have the, you know, thought of, Hey, we're going to start this up and we have the things in place. But all of a sudden, if people are out amongst, you know, in the public and people are starting to get sick again and we're heading in the wrong direction, they're going to have to pull the plug. And I don't know if they want to start that and have to pull it or just wait and see for a while and then decide whether we start up and we go into November and December, which will add a whole nother, you know, set of problems in terms of off season for next season. So there's a lot of things that have to happen, I think, almost perfectly for this season to go underway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that. I wouldn't necessarily expect baseball to start before June. I know there's been different dates thrown around. I'd be shocked even, and I'm saying spring training, a second spring training. That's probably not coming until the middle of June. Cause we talked to Kevin Newman. We had him on a show. He's a, he was a neighbor of mine growing up. And uh, you know, we asked him how long would you need at minimum to get ready? And he said, we would need at minimum a week, you know, two weeks would be better. You know, you'd sit, you start, of yeah, games, of games. Right? You're talking, and a lot of the guys are working out. They're, they're finding facilities or they're, they have a cage at their house. Um, but you're talking about a couple weeks of that. And that, you know, you start pushing into, like you said, June, July, August, you know, how many games is going to constitute a full, you know, you know, I'll put in air quotes season, you know, is it 60 games, 80 games, you know, to, to make it a viable, legit season to start playoffs right and then even then you get into obviously if you're condensing you're playing a shortened spring training just because you need to get these players some opportunities to you know get back into a rhythm and for the pitchers to stretch out you're going to have expanded rosters to begin the season which is great because in theory hopefully that helps protect against injuries but then also you're bringing in more players more bodies which then you start to have to factor in the cdc and whatever public uh, health officials are kind of recommending and different guidelines with that. So, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. It, obviously, you know, this, this is truly unprecedented and, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned for baseball. I think they will give it a try at some point. And with basketball, with baseball, if a player contracts the virus, then I think they, they just shut down and we lose the season. I, yeah, think and for either. I didn't even think yeah. about that. If somebody yeah. happens to contract it while they're doing it, like basketball, they're going to have to shut it down. Yeah. And you're talking about a lot of players, 700 and some players. It's going to be, interesting to see if it well maybe even more than that like you said if you expand the rosters you're talking maybe 800 plus players plus you know an umpire gets it yeah there's so many yeah. things i think with basketball first of all with both the first month even after spring trainer training camp has to be locked down in hotels with your family temperatures taken as you come and go each day um everybody involved and because basketball i mean you could field an entire game with referees and two full teams and coaches, that's 50 people or less. That's that's a controllable environment. In baseball, it's at least double that, at least double that, right? And, you know, the hotels, uh, I don't know. It's just, it, to me, baseball is a much digger, different uh, discussion, but I think both have to have a, like, we're going to start with one month in Arizona. I don't see how baseball can't 
start with a month in Arizona, frankly, or, or Florida both, because they have the hotel tourism set up, they have the facilities, no crowds, families at the hotels, but families can't be coming and going. You're either living there for a month or you're not. I just don't know how else they can do it because you can't control it otherwise. Yeah, I wonder when uh, some of the players started raising the family issues, I wondered if there would be, like you, you say, there's an agreement where, okay, you come, the players are going to come to Arizona, they're going to quarantine, obviously, while they're playing, and you identify with the league who you want, who from your family you want to join you. And so maybe they go through a process, you know, for the Kershaws, they live in Dallas. So his wife and his children, okay, you guys need to quarantine basically for two weeks before we can bring you into Arizona. That still brings up like logistical issues. I, like, I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about my wife. Like I might say, Hey, by the way, you get in that room for a couple weeks and then you may be able to come with me. My wife would be like, you see ya, get out of here. But I, I think that's, I don't think, I mean, I think being in it and actually being part of that and knowing kind of that mindset of a season, like it's hard to be away from your family. It's, you know, to ask a guy, I know uh, Rizzo and, and Bryant with the Cubs, they just had kids. You're talking about, you just had a kid a few months ago and you're like, peace out. I'm leaving you for four months. Like, I don't see it happening. And I don't, I don't see it possible to ask the families, Hey, we're going to set you up in this hotel, the Ritz Carlton, but you can't leave the hotel. I think even if it's like, hey, we got all the meals cooked for you, buffet style, I think people are going to go, there's no way in hell I'm going to do that. I really don't. I, I, I keep thinking the scenario like, oh, we, they might be able to do it if the, if, if the trend starts trending down. But when you really start diving into it, I don't see how you're going to get every, everybody on board. And I know the players, uh, players union are going to be against a lot of things if it's not perfect for the players. And I think that's why you're starting to see some reports of uh, Major League Baseball kind of exploring the possibility of just keeping teams at their home stadiums and you know some there was an indication that that's what they even preferred uh, just because I, I think at that point you can have players still with their families in a semi-normal uh, environment and setting still but yeah I mean there's, there's no right right answer there's no perfect answer I wonder if they're uh, going to ask the guys to wear masks like they are doing in Korea or South Korea right now we I've got a buddy over there in South Korea that they're they're playing inter-squad games right now and like most of the players are wearing masks yeah, I mean, maybe maybe to start off with, who knows? I don't think anything can be ruled out. Could you imagine, like, with the way players are now, like the the amount of like swag people have with their masks? It's like the players' weekend. People are going to have all these like funky, like high design masks. It actually, yeah. be kind of interesting. We, you be, never know. It might be a thing if they yeah, that, present it good a, enough to the players. They could they could they could pull that off. Yeah, bring another layer of uh, entertainment and letting the players, you know, kind of express themselves. Those are already <laughs> popping up on my Instagram and Facebook feed too. I'll order three Dodger different you know, mask. It's only thirty-five bucks. So, so hey Matt, uh, since we're covering the whole gamut, uh, you do some reporting for the Reign of Troy on USC football too, and the prodigal son JT Daniels, uh, modern-day high school quarterback, graduated a year early so he could be the guy. Really struggle. I, I, I've taught at USC for about six years in healthcare policy. I was excited. The history of modern day quarterbacks going to SC, a lot of success. JT struggled. And so a new guy comes in, doesn't struggle. JT enters the transfer portal. So what are you hearing? You hearing anything about where he might end up? There was a report a couple of weeks ago that maybe LSU. Uh, obviously, the Ed Orgeron connection and with Joe Burrow leaving, there's, there's a need there. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think there's still a little bit of uh, unclarity on 
if JT Daniels will actually even leave because you can explore your options, obviously, in the transfer portal, and then and SC has seen it, and then they end up just kind of coming back. I think he will eventually move forward with actually transferring just because uh, Keaton Slovis obviously played phenomenal last season, yeah. and you should oh, – you, the expectation is his trajectory he'll continue to improve. And I'm with you. You know, JT Daniels, when he committed, same thing. I thought, okay, out of modern day, there's obviously the great tradition. It's a pipeline. Uh, and then I watched him play, and I thought, man, like, this is, this is like the Gatorade uh, <laughs> player of the year. Like, I thought maybe some of it was a freshman, but there just wasn't really enough progression for me yeah. uh, for him to really take off. You guys had me checked out at Modern Day in USA. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you moved, you moved down to the 619760 San Diego, uh, Brett. So uh, interesting. So, hey, tell me about Max Muncie and your interactions with him. I love Max Muncie. We love the grinder on this show. I mean, that guy is the epitome of a grinder. Everybody else had given up on him. Dodgers bring him in as a non-roster guy. He keep his, keeps hitting the ball, and he's a, a two-year, 30-home run guy. Uh, in the all-star conversation every year. Tell me about uh, him and your interactions with him. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy and a, a great story. Like you said, you know, people have kind of given up. He, he said that he found himself sitting at home. He was thinking about possibly going back to Baylor to finish uh, his education. And then minor league contract came his way from the Dodgers. He spent the year in AAA and then injured, like we've seen uh, with the team over the last couple of years, injuries kind of created an opportunity. And when he came up, you weren't really sure what to expect. You thought, okay, you know, he'll be here for maybe two weeks and then back up in September. And he just kind of hit his way into the lineup. And not only that, but he has become uh, versatile defensively. I mean, he can play first, second, and third base, which this team obviously values being able to move guys around. Uh, so there's that. And then just as a person, you know, he's, he's great to, to interview. He's generous with his time. Uh, and still, he got his big contract. He was rewarded kind of, you know, for his, his career resurgence. But he still uh, emphasizes and carries forward kind of this, I need to prove myself mentality, which I think is great. By the way, he wouldn't consider that his big contract. He thinks his next one's going to be the big one, but he's <laughs> happy with the one he's got. Hey, I have one last question for you, and Brett might have a couple more. But I actually had, in the first version of the Air Jordans, I had the blue and black ones. Was that uncool, or is that cool? Is there <laughs> Definitely any uncool. Definitely uncool, Josh. <laughs> yeah, not, a, not quite as uh, coveted or, or cool. The only reason you had the blue and those ones is because your foot is massive. It's like size 16 or 17 or some like obscure thing. They didn't, they probably ran out of red and white material and couldn't make yours. Truth. Truth. <laughs> I think my last question for you would be, you know, the Dodgers, um, you know, let's, let's play this out. The season does start. You know, we get to that point with the addition of Betts, Peterson, Taylor, Hernandez, Muncie. They have so much depth. How are they going to get these all these guys all in the lineup, all enough at bats to get you know good looks? You know it's a great problem to have to have all this talent and try to figure it out. But you know I I don't know how it shapes up. We had we had probed um, Doc a little bit on our our last podcast saying, you know was Peterson going to actually really make you know opening day with the Dodgers or was there still going to be a, a way to try to get rid of him? Um, to open up space but how do you how do you feel it all pans out with with the depth they have and and how they're gonna uh, you know shape that up well for starters I guess I'll, I'll operate under the assumption that the National League is going to see a DH this year uh, I guess it that's if there yeah. is National League and American League separated but I think we'll see a universal DH so that will benefit the Dodgers greatly uh, and then 
kind of like we were touching, touching on with Max Muncy being able to move around with Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez able to do the same thing. You'll see them get their regular at bats just, you know, because through the infield, infield, Corey Seager will need a day off. Justin Turner will need a day off. Uh, I think Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger will be your everyday players pretty much. Uh, but, you know, I, Dave Robert, I think I, I wondered about this last season and he handled it well. Uh, obviously Mookie Betts is, makes it, I don't want not more difficult, but more challenging for him just because you have another phenomenal player who needs to play all the time. Right. Uh, but I think he'll, he'll be able to do just fine. I mean, he's done it before. He, he likes to refer to it as his high class problem. Uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, you know, and really like you would rather have too much talent than not enough talent. Well, I, I started thinking about it after Doc said that I got really excited. And then I went, wait a minute. That only needs two extra at-bats from a position player in Dodgerland because we pinch it for the, the, the uh, pitcher after the fifth inning anyway. So, But it's still, we'll take those two, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. You got anything else for Matt? No, I think that's it. We, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We'd love to have you back on once, you know, fingers crossed, the season starts uh, rolling back up. But great insight. Um, we appreciate it. You can check out Matt at DodgerBlue.com, LakerNation.com, uh, Twitter at M Marino. Um, you know, we, like I said, we appreciate this. It's always good to have a little bit of extra insight from someone that's a little bit closer than us. Um, and like I said, you're welcome anytime back. Yeah, of course. Whenever you, whenever you guys uh, will have me on, I'd be happy to do it. No, don't All say right. that because it might be like like bi-weekly. <laughs> hey, that's fine. Thanks for tuning in to the, uh, the Dugout Dudes, one of the Dodger Dudes on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.